Hello, everybody. This is Miranda Cyrus, and this is another episode of Prospect Generations. I'm here with Gabrielle Gurley, senior editor, and today we are going to talk about abortion. Hello, everyone. Gabrielle here. All right. So right now things are very, very bad, right? We've got abortion restrictions all over the place. We've got party switches happening, everything under the weather. But the first thing that I think that we should start with to kind of shape our conversation a little bit are these main ideas that we have. So the first thing that we want like everyone to know and we want to be very clear about is that abortions are going to happen regardless of any restriction in place. Restrictions and the criminalization of these of the procedure actually only make abortions less safe. And we want everyone to know that it does not often make it less frequent, although we have been saying that, but that's because of restrictions. <laughs> um, there will always be people who can avoid restrictions, but they will actually only restrict those who cannot circumvent them. Yeah, um, I guess what I would say in that respect is that... Uh, the criminalization of abortion, I think, is going to come back to is going to come back to haunt uh, the groups that are anti-abortion, as as you pointed out. Um, abortions have been performed. Women have sought out abortion since the beginning of time, mm-hmm. and there's very little that um, authorities, whoever they may be, um, and despite whatever restrictions they may put into place, uh, can do to stop a determined individual uh, from ending a pregnancy if, if they so choose. And so this, this going down this path of criminalizing um, the end of pregnancy is is introducing just more more discord and more dissension into a political environment that's already uh, chock full of both. Absolutely. And that kind of leads us to the next part, which is that abortion restrictions actually only restrict certain intersections of people, right? Mm-hmm. So we know that p- women have always looked for abortions, have always sought them out. But we also know that those who have been able to receive them have always been of the more privileged and things like that. So now that we're seeing abortion restrictions, certain people are being affected, certain intersections, black women, poor women, women in the South and in general. So right now, that's what I want to do. I want to talk about these intersections of abortion restrictions and like what's really like weighing on people. Um, and obviously a very pertinent one for us is race. Um, we're both black women here. And the thing that really gets me is that black women already have higher mat- maternal mortality rates. The New York Times actually reported that it's like three times white women. Mm-hmm. And like we've been seeing that, we've seen a lot of high profile stories about people like not, you know, Serena Williams not being taken seriously and her, during her pregnancy and things like that. So... Black women are still needing abortions, but, you know, a lot of black women live in the South where there's a lot of restrictions. A lot of black women, like, and those that can actually access abortions are, I feel like, going to have to, are going to be of the higher privilege, too. That kind of, that intersection there. What do you think about that? Right, exactly. Um, People who are, say, middle class and above. Mm Mm-hmm. Will be able to travel out of state. Yeah. Um, for, for the price of a bus ticket, a rental car, an air, an airline flight, they will try as best they can to go to another state to obtain an abortion. People who cannot afford to travel out of state, of course, are stuck. And the greatest concern there is that if the, if a person is determined to get an abortion, they will try some unsafe method, some unregulated drug, some natural substance, you know, a, a plant or some other method that will be uh, exponentially more harmful uh, to that individual. And on top of that, their behavior, that decision is criminalized as well. 
Um, and if, in the same vein that the women who are going out, who are able to travel out, once they come back, they'll be subject to persecution um, and prosecution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the women who remain at home and search out unsafe methods will all be also be subject to whatever um, a state decides is uh, within their uh, judicial context, their legal um, constraints is an appropriate punishment. So you've got this multitude of consequences for people who should be well within their rights to decide whether or not they carry a pregnancy to term. And yes, it is going to fall heaviest on black women because Mm -hmm. penalties in American society typically fall heaviest on people of color. Absolutely. So black women, Native American women, Latina women, the, these penalties are going to fall the heaviest. Absolutely. Um, poor white women will yeah. also be um, subject to these uh, this decision making. So once this, you know, this machinery revs up, I think we're, we're going to see some pretty heinous episodes in um, a lot of states, primarily in the South. Um, but you go up to the Mountain West, obviously uh, North Dakota today just um, criminalized um, abortion. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be more prevalent and the news is going to travel faster and there is going to be all sorts of uh, reaction to whether this can the situation can continue on both sides of, of it. Absolutely. And when you say that the penalty is most likely to fall heaviest on black women, I mean we like you said, we have seen that in general those penalties fall heaviest on black women. But there's there's some some data to back back that up too, because um I have a Kaiser Foundation study here that's black women are more likely to seek abortions, which I think is really important, especially with with all the intersections that come together. More likely to seek abortions because they're poor. Mm -hmm. More likely to seek abortions because they already have kids. Sure. More likely to seek abortions for a lot of different reasons. Um, And the thing that, like, the poor, income-wise, which is really, like, a you know, something that's really dear to my heart because... I mean, I've been around, you know, multitudes of poor black women and an unwanted pregnancy can only exacerbate circumstances that are really hard for, you know, a poor person in America. And poor women have more unintended pregnancies. They have more abortions. There's just a lot of different things that go into those intersections that make it really hard for you know, a black woman or any other woman really to exist. Well, that, that's, that is, you, you rightly point out that that is in some ways the crux of the abortion conundrum. Mm-hmm. I think some of the uh, anti-abortion folks sometimes see it as, oh, this is just, you know, this is a capricious decision and they just don't, they don't want to be pregnant. They don't want to have a child, but they're not going the extra step mm-hmm. to ask themselves, why, why is it that these women don't want to bear children? Or how that, is it that they ended up with an unintended pregnancy as well? That as well. Mm-hmm. So if you have an unintended pregnancy and you decide you want to end it, or you are making an economic you know, you're making an economic decision. What the question should be, why is this happening? And instead, what we're faced is with a decision um, based on punishment. Mm-hmm. We are just going to punish. We're not going to ask why you've decided to do what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the circumstances, what is the pathway that brought you to this decision? We're just going to say you made a mistake and here's your punishment. And you have to suffer those consequences. They're not taking into consideration um, what pregnancies do mm-hmm. for pregnant women. Mm-hmm. Um, 
The toll it, on a body. The toll, the toll on your body, the, the toll on health. your job prospects. The minute you walk into your supervisor's office and announce you are pregnant, then your job prospects immediately change in that, um, in that moment, no matter what kind of job you have. Mm-hmm. No, not from, from a service job to uh, a white collar job to the, you know, if you're a doctor. If you're a, an attorney, your, your job's prospects change immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, education. If you're a teenager in high school, that may be the end of your education. You may be forced to drop out. Not every community has supportive um, systems mm-hmm. for pregnant teenagers. I mean, I, I think that... Not just not like a lack of the systems to support a pregnant teenager, but also like that, like you said, in like education, like just a lack of comprehensive sex education that as well. will tell you how to not have an unintended pregnancy, you know, to the extent that you have that power. That That's the insidious thing about this whole conversation. If you do not want people to have children that they don't want, mm-hmm. you need to educate them on how babies are made how babies are made and how if you choose not to have a baby how you can go about doing that mm-hmm. so that that whole conversation is is lacking it has been for for decades it sex really sex been. education is is verboten mm-hmm. um, teaching about contraception is verboten teaching about parenthood how to be um, it's not it's perhaps you know it's debatable whether the education system needs to take that on as well mm-hmm. um, but if the if the trend is okay um, we prefer to people have children carry, mm-hmm. carry them to term then there needs to be a level of education about what the consequences of that decisions are um, mm. would be, and um, for younger, for younger women, um, it's going to be uh, education, mm-hmm. the consequences of um, going to school, uh, also whether your family is supported or not. If you're um, a twenty-something, thirty-something middle-aged woman, you may have a support system. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not. If you're a teenager, is your family going to be supportive of your pregnancy? Especially like all of the kind of not knowing about not having like proper sex education is is also very pervasive in these places that are having severe abortion restrictions. And so the idea that these that anyone can, you know, just have a kid and take care of the kid is, you know, it's kind of, it's contradictory to like the real need for sex education that we have. Cause like mm-hmm. you're saying, there's so much more that goes into having a kid, like, cause you're saying your work prospects, your educational prospects, um, your familiar prospects. And I think about how, like, you know, the teenagers that might end up that, you know, didn't have proper sex education that may end up pregnant, you know, why didn't they have that proper sex education? I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole like puritanic notion, you know, that you should just abstain. And we've seen those, how that ends up, you know, creating these pregnancies a lot of the time. So that, that just kind of gets me too. It's like, it's like a, like a trap, you know, Mm -hmm. that everyone that like, especially like teens and women in like the South and other restrictive states, it's a trap they're in. Like they can't really, it's hard to really get out of it. And what you're saying about the teenagers, um, do you want to skip forward to current state of things? Yeah. Let me just, let me just, just, just stay, um, uh, say this about uh, abstinence and, and, and whatnot. Oh, we, there are those who think that abstinence is, is the way forward. Just, mm-hmm. it is very difficult to ask human beings mm-hmm. to abstain mm-hmm. from uh, anything. For, from yeah, anything that they really want anything to, that produces to do. dopamine. <laughs> <laughs> um, it takes a strong person mm-hmm. to be able to abstain from sexual relations uh, if they really if they really want 
to have sexual relations. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are billions of people on the earth for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so asking people to kind of forego uh, natural inclinations is, is, is doomed to be unsuccessful. And this is where your, your, your point about sex education comes in. Mm-hmm. If you're not teaching, um, young people how to protect themselves against unwanted pregnancy, um, through all the myriad ways of doing that, then that's a problem. Absolutely. Then that's a problem. Absolutely. And I don't even want to skip forward to the current state thing because I thought that that story about the teen in Florida mm-hmm. was very relevant to what you were saying. For those of you who don't know, there was a teen recently in Florida that sought a 16 year old that sought an abortion but was denied one by a judge on the basis that she was not mature enough for an abortion. Obviously, the question there is, if she's not mature enough for an abortion, how is she mature enough to raise a child, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like, that's like the real sticking point, because this, this, this teen is saying, like, my, the father won't be involved. And what support really does she have, you know? So... And she, she says straight up, she's not ready, you know, mm-hmm. but she's not, but she's not mature enough to make the decision on whether she's ready. But having a child is a much more extreme way. And so that's why to me, abortion restrictions just seem like punishment. Mm-hmm. Like they just seem like you're being punished for not abiding by our puritanical evangelical standards mm. of, you know, abstinence or mm-hmm. whatever, or that sex is going to give you humors or whatever there, you know, um, they don't say that anymore, but they might as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, it, it's just so deeply like deceptive, you know, because they can say one, one purpose, you know, and also like if she's not mature enough, is the baby supposed to make her mature? You know, there's a lot of questions with that. Well, yeah, this is sort of like, it, she was mature enough to have sex in the first place. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Why is she not mature enough to make a decision? And also, like, mature enough to have sex is, like, a very, like, you know, wishy-washy term or whatever, right? Because, like, you know, that's different for everyone. Mm -hmm. But this teen, you're right, that this teen decided she was mature enough to have sex. And she is within her rights to say that I don't want the baby that came from it, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I, I can't handle it. And I think that there's, like, so much stigma attached to that, you know? And especially I can't imagine, you know, the feelings that this teen might have just having a national news case about why, about something she couldn't do with her body, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's not, that's, that's jarring psychologically on top of everything else. So I wanted to talk a little bit about just what's kind of going on with abortion because after Dobbs, there's a lot, there's restrictions and everything that's happening, but there's also, moving parts within the courts that are making things odd for people. So yeah, things are real bad for abortion, but we're going to tell you exactly how bad they are. Well, in uh, Idaho this month, the legislature criminalized, um, uh, abortion has been criminalized, uh, uh, except in, in cases of, of uh, maternal health, uh, rape and incest uh, for a certain period of time. But they have also criminalized um, the movement of minors interstate that anyone who assists a minor without a state travel um, can be prosecuted under Idaho law. Basically, they've gone up to um, the right to travel. The right to travel is a constitutionally projected right. They've gone up to it, but not quite cross the line because a minor is involved. Mm-hmm. And that presents all sort of, of sticky issues um, that undoubtedly uh, federal courts and the Supreme Court are going to have to rule on um, because uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh and his um, concurring opinion on Dobbs basically said uh, he did not think that the right to travel could be infringed upon because there is a constitutional right um, to travel. And so uh, Idaho has already found itself at odds with neighboring states, with Oregon, which has no restrictions, and Washington, which has 
um, abortion up to viability. Uh, and those two states are, are working now to pass legislation that will protect anyone coming into their state from Idaho, as well as, for example, uh, doctors who are licensed in Oregon and Idaho from um, uh, having their insurance or their licenses jeopardized in Oregon. So that, that is a problem. And what you're seeing within Idaho itself is pretty disconcerting because after, uh, this particular intra-state travel restriction was passed, uh, two hospitals have basically closed their obstetrics departments because mm. they determined that it was, they did not have the doctors because doctors are leaving. Mm-hmm. Doctors are leaving uh, the state in one of the states that has the lowest number of doctors in the country. Mm. So you've got these specialists who have decided, um, especially specialists in uh, maternal care, mm-hmm. who have decided uh, we're going to walk. We're mm-hmm. going to take our 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 expertise, our, our elsewhere. expertise elsewhere, mm-hmm. and in in some cases far enough away so that they cannot be uh, touched um, by these restrictions into regions, the Northeast, um, the West Coast, where they can operate in a, say, a multi-state environment where they don't have to uh, be, be concerned about it. I mean, think about that for a moment, that you want to, you're not only penalizing um, people who are seeking abortions, but you're, you're penalizing mothers mm-hmm. who need mm-hmm. care and you're sending out the very professionals you're driving away the very professionals who are capable of providing that care in a state that doesn't have that many professionals to begin with mm-hmm. yeah um it's just it, it's just mind-boggling to to contemplate what the state is going to do if it cannot attract doctors mm. I mean, yeah, and that sort of reminds me of some the previous reporting I did on this after Dobbs with abortion care just not even being able to be taught, you know, mm-hmm. like at gynecology schools and things like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. There are, and you know, they don't just provide abortions, you know, but they but because of these abortion restrictions, might like you say choose to take their expertise somewhere else, you know, and I think that. What you're saying about like the interstate travel is really a big sticking point as to why Roe was so important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my opinion, why like a federal government is important. Mm-hmm. Roe wasn't just you're allowed to have an abortion. It was a blanket, mm-hmm. a blanket, I'm blanking on the word right now, but it was a standard, oh, essentially, okay. mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, you can do what you want within that standard, but you have to provide abortions. And that was just true across the country. And that's why without it, you know, with all these individual laws cropping up and changing day to day, week to mm-hmm. week, it's I the, the clinicians and people that I've been talking to on this are just people are scared. People are frustrated. People are confused. People don't know. Like, people are, like, rushing, mm-hmm. you know, like, it, like they find out they're pregnant. You can find – this is, like, Florida just passed – DeSantis just passed, re- signed the six-week Florida mm-hmm. ban, which is not in effect yet, but could be soon. And it's just the the strain, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that that is has the potential to cause – is just it's like mind blowing to me. So yeah, that's why it was so important to just like have just like something that you know no one could go under, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, as a sidebar, I do think that's why like I remember learning about like states' rights versus like government rights or whatever, like in school. And it's really interesting how states' rights have been like twisted and molded, even if. Their original intention was a little insidious as well. <laughs> well, the state's rights um, proponent, I mean, that's always, uh, we are founded on a, a federalist system, but it's kind of, it's it's taking states' rights to a very extreme mm-hmm. position. And then what you are running into now is coalitions of states against other 
coalitions of states kind of bump, butting heads. Yeah, we've got like kind south, of, northwest. Yeah, like, it's it's rivalry going on here. It, it's weird. Exactly, it is um, creating tensions. Tensions where tensions they may have been there, but they hadn't bu- bubbled over to the surface. And as as we have seen over the past several years, um, it's just one more thing. It's one more uh, rock on the, the end of the seesaw or boulder on the end of the seesaw that is just going to tip it to a point and what the outcome is, who knows. Um, but I think the questions of medical systems, as you, as you point out, and care is, is really important because you are basically – um, sending one part of in the country or dooming one part of the country to substandard care yes. across the maternal health spectrum. Hey, it's Ryan Cooper, managing editor here at The Prospect. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Prospect Generations, but I also invite you to enjoy our affiliated podcasts. Alexi the Greek and myself host Left Anchor, where we discuss politics, theory, and the left with the best writers and thinkers. You can also join comedian and prospect contributor Francesca Fiorentini for the Bituation Room, a humorous roundup of the week's news with plenty of bitching. You can find Left Anchor and the Bituation Room wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the prospect as a power level member, you can unlock bonus content for each of them. What a deal. For more information or to sample the shows, visit prospect.org slash podcasts. Let's get back to the show. Absolutely. And I brought up Florida's six-week ban because a lot of women, you can't even find out that they're pregnant yeah, until you know, two weeks. Yeah. You, that's when you can find out. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be like tracking your cycle and testing every day to find out that you're pregnant at two weeks, basically. And so six weeks is just an incredibly short amount of time, right? So like I'm imagining somebody in Florida who finds out they're pregnant three, four weeks or whatever. By the time they can get an appointment in Florida, because Florida has had an increase in abortions mm. and wait times as well, maybe it's already after the the time, right? So those people then have to travel upwards, right? They've got to go, what, through Georgia, you know, because there's no, <laughs> it's the same thing there, you know, and it's too late. They have to drive up to Georgia, um, I've been hearing that they were that they've been driving up from Florida through up to Atlanta where, you know, you can do like a consultation for like North Carolina, even though there's still a 72 hour wait after that. But you have to get to Georgia first and then you can travel up into North Carolina. And it's just that's like so long to drive to get tried and true good medical care Mm -hmm. it's just it's really just and i i i my heart like breaks for like Mm -hmm. you know anyone that's in that position you know like having to scramble to put together the money you know like all of those things and then having to travel and i've heard like about people having to bring their kids with them you know their families with them. i mean ideally anytime you have depending on on where you are what kind of procedure you have you should have some you shouldn't be doing it by yourself Absolutely. But uh, but also but like mm-hmm. are your kids going to help you, you know? Like sometimes you well, just have yeah, to Well, yeah, it's like along. any it's like anything mm-hmm. any anything else with if you have young children and you have no backup, mm-hmm. then they have to come as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that, that that's an untenable situation. And that's and a itself. good reason to get an abortion if you have you know two kids already and you're already struggling to find health care or child care, which is also very expensive in this country mm-hmm. and very hard to find good child care. Yeah, you might want an abortion for your third child, and like that's like that's that's okay. That's okay. As much yeah, as it's 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 a tough decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, any these are tough decisions, and they are not to be taken lightly. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the the supposition is that a woman who wants abortion is not really thinking through. And I I would. Uh, uh, I'm very persuaded that anyone who who chooses this path has has indeed thought it thought it through, and that's oh, just I mean, kind you of can't, a, you can't. There's a lot of logistics that go yeah, into yeah. It's 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 a red herring. So it's it's just very difficult for to understand what the what the outcome of this will be. Yeah, of, yeah. Of this turmoil that has been introduced into 
the medical system, mm-hmm. into courts, um, which will uh, eventually redound um, back to the Supreme Court. They're going to have to sort this out. What goes on at you know the and the lower courts, you know, batting it around before it gets to the Supreme Court. Um, there's a lot of um, chaos. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That has that has now been introduced in a system that was um, better designed to handle these questions than the situation that is now the case. Doesn't that really get your goat how like abortion care, it's so like with me for Pristone, you know, decades of science behind it, you know, mm-hmm. decades of science behind abortion and reproductive care in general. And all that's just out the window. Like, none of that really matters to, like, you know, politicians and judges who have their, you know, own own agendas for stuff like that. And it really just, I, I've been hearing a lot that it's been frustrating patients and doctors alike, because, you can have a, you can be a provider that's having a discussion with your patient and oh yeah you need a medical abortion but you, we can't give it to you right sorry I you think- know and what and what do you what do you do in that situation you know like I, I also think a lot about like the emotional and like psychological effects of these things because like a doctor that knows this person needs this care and has their hands completely tied. I can imagine feeling so angry. Mm-hmm. I can imagine feeling so like helpless, all those things. And then on the other side, a patient who is being denied care, the, the fear mm-hmm. might mm-hmm. be really overwhelming. Well, it will be interesting to see as this goes forward, where we as a country end up. I mean, I think that the restrictions, well, I mean, I think that like the follow up, I think it's pretty antithetical to like, a constitutional republic, you know, like, because essentially we're not existing as a republic together, you know, it's like individual little Mm. islands of doing whatever they want, you know, and there's no standard, there's no method of making it make sense, you know, and there's so many questions that are just left completely unanswered, you know, and like, do you can't, Doctors having to consult hospital lawyers, you know, like before they can give a procedure like that's like it's time sensitive and all that stuff. So I don't know. I think that because North Carolina is already stretched to capacity. And I think with Florida's six week ban, if that goes into effect, I think that it might just collapse in that way. Um, because there are, what, 14 clinics in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard three in South Carolina versus, you know, a bunch that were in Florida, but a bunch that, you know, can only provide, might only be able to provide care up to a very, very short amount of time. And so all those women that are very likely to fall in, outside of that time frame have basically no choice but to go to North Carolina and maybe Virginia, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's gonna it's going to go back to the electoral arena. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we saw in the twenty twenty two midterms um, that has energized young people, mm-hmm. uh, which in a lot of cases uh, made the votes cl- a lot closer than they would have been other- otherwise um, in in certain contests. But it remains to be seen uh, how energized the electorate is Mm -hmm. on this issue. Certainly women are energized. uh, Young people are energized um, on the, on the presidential side. The election is um, still, still a ways away. Um, Anything can happen. And I think the continuing developments will uh, give us a path Mm -hmm. forward to see how consequent it will be consequential what we see in primary contests on both sides um, coming up and whether we get a new slate of, of candidates because uh, on the, certainly on the Republican side, there is an, a, a growing feeling that it's gone too far. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's really gone to a place that no one or that few had anticipated. Um, 
dimming electoral um, prospects for the Republican Party. So it will be interesting to see how they respond. Um, And if they're, you're, you're starting to see very small indications of donors saying, okay, maybe this is a, some of this is a bridge too far. Yeah. I mean, so it's, 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 you know, as each of uh, the the states come in with more and more extreme positions, um, you have states who have already, you know, made decisions where, okay, we're going to restrict abortions, but we're going to restrict it at a point where it's reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, reasonable restrictions on abortions versus the very extreme positions. I think that that will uh, chart a path towards 2024 mm-hmm. and, and where the country is going and whether it moderates um, who ultimately ends up uh, on the Republican side is, is, is a question. And I but mean, that's not yet, it's not quite apparent as yet. Yeah. And Abortion is a nonpartisan issue, really. There are there. How so? In the sense that, no matter your party, you might end up needing one. You know, you could, and or you know someone who needs or you know, yes, yeah. mm-hmm. or or you might just or it's just not. You know, people do see it as just not even something that should be batted around in the legal like law arena Hmm. but it's really it's really nonpartisan. like and i think that brings us back to like our original point of like people are gonna get them no matter what and we know that not just because liberal women have been getting abortions you know we know that because all women you know it's i think it's like a third of women might have one in their lifetime or something like that it's 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 pretty nonpartisan. I think that's where Republicans messed up, making it a very partisan issue. It's working for some. It's certainly working for some people yeah. where it's like that they're taking it and they're holding on to it and that's their mantle and everything like that. But I don't think that it's it can stay a partisan issue because I think if the reproductive health care system of the South collapses, you know, if every state bans it to a certain extent and then no there's nowhere to go like like you said it's going to try to pass right through that i it it will as far as abortions are are concerned it definitely will um lead to some very deleterious effects as far as people's decisions to terminate a pregnancy i think where it will um cripple the healthcare system in some respects, is when it starts to uh, move into maternal health more broadly. Mm-hmm. And that's where you will see people who are um, carrying a child that may not be viable. Mm-hmm. And then what's the decision? Mm-hmm. Um, it's got some really tough questions that are going to need to be answered for women who are pregnant, who haven't considered it, but may consider an abortion, but may need to because um, either their health is at risk or the fetus is at risk. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. So that for me is, you know, that's kind of the chilling byproduct that no one is really consider, uh, considering and we're seeing it. We're seeing it already at work in Idaho. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it'll definitely work its way through more rural states where doctors are not, where communities have difficulties uh, attracting medical professionals. Anyway, in the best of situations. I mean, basically the answer to... What do you do if you have a non-viable pregnancy in an abortion-restrictive state? Like, it's crazy to me that the answer from, like, anti-abortion people is, like, just go in sepsis and die, you know? Mm. Like, there's basically, like, you know, for the health of the mother, you know, that doesn't really seem to matter a lot of the time, you know? And we've seen that with, you know, women reporting having to carry their dead fetuses in their bodies for oh i heard this 
horrific story of this. I I should have looked that up before this, but there was this woman who needed an abortion, had a non-viable pregnancy. They told her she couldn't have one. She she had a a medical condition where she knew she was gonna or where her water was gonna break and leave all of her body, and they said she can't have one. And so she went to she thought she was gonna die. She thought she was just going to die. So she went to a salon to get her hair done so her mom wouldn't have to deal with it. And then had the baby in the bathroom and damn near bled out. Mm-hmm. I heard that story recently, which just is just like an absolute horror story. Like it does not get worse than that, I don't think. I mean, the only way it would get worse is if she had died. And I honestly, I don't know. I don't think she did. It's just, it's so invasive to your body, to your health. And that's really what it comes down to is the fact that people don't have the ability to make their own decisions. Okay. And so the last couple of things that I think we should talk about are the Supreme Court is going to have to weigh in on this again. <laughs> well, it depends point. on what court, what cases work their, work their way up. Yeah. Um, they will be deciding shortly on uh, medication abortion issues. Mm-hmm. So um, in one way or another, they will rule on, on those. Mm-hmm. And the travel uh, restrictions uh, remains to be seen how, uh, whether it's uh, a state in the, the Mountain West, whether, you know, or the Mountain West being um, Idaho, um, the Oregon, Washington State, uh, Idaho uh, intersection. Mm-hmm. Whether anything happens there, though, though the cases will come up that they will have to revisit it at at some point. I, I mean, will they have to, or will they just kick it back to the states in depends, accordance with their with the circumstances? Yeah, so I mean, I, very. All these things are very individualized, so it's hard. It's difficult to say what they will accept and then what they. Um, if they believe that Dobbs is the last word, um, and they kick it back to the states, or on questions of inter- travel, um, it would seem most certainly that they would have to uh, render uh, some sort of decision to give clarity to lower co- courts. I mean, this is the worst timeline, Gabrielle. So I'm pretty sure we're just gonna see them kick it back to the states, <laughs> just because, oh, just because it, it's, it's hard. They, to, it's hard to know. Yeah, and no, it's, def- it's definitely hard to know. But it's I've just come to absolutely expect the worst in a lot of ways. Like it's just okay. this is this is just the worst timeline possible. And then you want to talk about activism? Yeah. So I think uh, the interesting. Uh, what I have been observing as far as reaction to this, I mean, you saw it with Dobbs. I mean, just with start that um, younger women were very shocked by the, the, the Dobbs decision and sort of accepted the accepted that abortion was a given and that it would always it would always be there. Um, Can I say one thing about that? Sure, because I feel like. Like younger women, I I do feel like they were shocked by that. I do feel though that it's like women and people younger than me, because it's I maybe I'm just really tuned into it. But I, I was hearing about this even before I wanted to be a journalist. You know, like mm-hmm. just all these clips about how Roe needs to be overturned, how that was not gonna, how that was not gonna stand, how they just this is like a fifty year thing that's happened it's in the process but i feel like people like younger than me you know i'm 25 i feel like you're right that it definitely did seem like a given but i feel like my people my age and up at least knew that there was a possibility that it might not be at some point I think it really depends on how tuned in you are to yeah that's fair um and, that's fair, and but it's really mainstream issues because a lot of people are not they're not following these things it's really mainstream though like i remember a joke about it on superstore nbc's superstore i remember Mm -hmm. a joke about it Mm -hmm. and i was just like this is like really entered into like the lexicon that like roe 
might be overturned. But I agree. It's probably contingent on how tuned in you are. It's I just didn't think I was that tuned in. How tuned you are and how seriously you take the threat. I didn't think I was that tuned into it. I thought I was just noticing it, yeah. you know? But. I mean, people may not have thought the threat was something that they need to worry about because, mm-hmm. oh, how could that ever happen? Yeah. Um, I thought the battle was won. Yeah, you know, with, a, with a lot of things that have gone on in, in the past um, seven years or so. It's like, how could that happen? Well, it's, it's, it's happened. So that leaves us with a situation now. What is uh, the best path forward mm-hmm. um, for people who want to uh, make sure that there are options for people who want to terminate pregnancies mm-hmm. and that people who are opposed to uh, Dobbs make their, make their voices heard? Um, and that's where I've seen um, a little bit of a generational divergence mm-hmm. uh younger women are online advocating they're in their communities mm-hmm. um more as sort of invisible advocates where they're they're helping uh women and girls who may need help and they're speaking out in their communities um and those actions are not necessarily not necessarily rising to a national um a national plane or, or platform, whereas older women who came of age when in the uh, pre-Row era and since Row are more taking to the streets, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, and protesting and going to the Supreme Court and, and whatnot, where younger women are not necessarily seeing that as... Um, the way to go. So it kind of leaves me wondering, okay, so obviously if, if things are going on online, we don't necessarily hear about that unless you are a, a voracious social media consumer, which mm-hmm. um, is, again, is a generational, more or less a generational construct. I was just, I was wondering how you, how you see the, the activism developing going forward. Well, I think about, in 2016 when Donald Trump was elected and there was the Women's March. That seemed like it was very energized by young women. Mm -hmm. But I feel like since then, I think that it's, like you're saying, moved more towards like the social media realm. Mm -hmm. And part of that has maybe to do with the, the malcontent of the efficacy of protest i think that is there a conclusion that that protest is not no i think that i think that there's there's this sense that we can protest but maybe young women are more in their communities because that is the protest Mm -hmm. and maybe protest just looks different now yeah and i think that it I think that there's definitely a place for taking to the streets and things like that. But I, I don't blame, you know, my generation and younger from being kind of dis, uh, like not energized that much since 2016 and even 2020, you know, like we did a lot, there was a lot of protesting. How much really changed, you know? And I don't think that that's necessarily the right way to think about it, but I think that's how a lot of people think about it. So, and I, I mean, personally, I am, I'm more of the, like, I'm more on the side of being, like, online and things like that. And I Mm -hmm. think that I would even agree, like, personally, that there's really something to be said about it. But I think there's, like, gonna have to be a a balance, you know? And I think, you know, if it does get really, really bad, I'm sure people will go to the streets, you know? With uh, with France protesting, there was all this talk about how, like, no one protests, you know, like, you know, and I think it's just not fair, you know? Like, I think Well, we I think been. French society is very... Oh, oh uh, yeah. No, no, no. no. We're, not very gonna, we're not gonna get into that, but, like, that's yeah. just what people have been saying, like, in response to that here, and it's like, it's not that people aren't protesting, it's that they're protesting differently, and that we're looking for new ways to kind of break through that, I think. I think the way, however, to get to get the intention of the policymakers, and that's where the French example is so relevant and so salient, is 
they got the intention of the policymakers. It did not necessarily change anything. It didn't anything. do anything. It didn't change anything. He signed anything. it. It didn't do anything. Um, <laughs> but they, but they understand mm-hmm. the president of France now. Un- he Not that he didn't understand before, but he understands mm-hmm. um, the disconnect. Yeah. He sees the disconnect. And obviously he is... Um, Proceeding with, has proceeded with uh, the changeover um, as far as retirement age is concerned. Two years. Two years. <laughs> it's a different society. I know, it, yeah. It's a completely different society. And to understand what happened, you really, it's important to understand how French people think about retirement. That said, Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was effective in conveying to the rest of the world. That's why it shook up people here into that. Oh, my God, these people are in the street. It showed it was effective in demonstrating the intense anger mm-hmm. about what they saw as a social betrayal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if all of those people had stayed in their online communities, we wouldn't. I mean, it would never have 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 percolated over. It would never have flowed over here or anywhere else um, in Europe. And that's what I agree. I that's that's true. what uh, political leaders are afraid of. Mm-hmm. That's what speaks to them. That's what exactly what they don't want to see mm-hmm. happen. If you're in your online community, they're not, they don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're in the streets, that's a different problem. Yeah. And um, you have to consider what your response is. Is your response going to be to carry out your policy or are you going to have to figure out an alternative path or are you going to compromise? Absolutely. And I think we can leave it on that note. All right. This is Romina Cyrus, Strongos Writing Fellow, signing off. And Gabrielle Gurley, Senior Editor here at the American Prospect. Thanks for being with us.